Father, we are so thankful for the love that surrounds us, for the love that stepped out of eternity and into time to make us your children. Father, I pray today that as we contemplate your love and ours, Lord, that you would inspire us to love others just as you have loved us. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are currently 10 weeks into our study on flourishing, and so we're actually wrapping it up today. And we've been talking about the desire that every person is created with to flourish. We, we stated that, importantly, that flourishing is not derived from what's going on outside us or what's going on around us, but flourishing is rather about what is happening within us. Flourishing comes from the inside and shows itself on the outside in good as well as bad. Now, like, like we've said, it's like the tree that's planted by the water in Psalm 1. It does not wither in the weather, and it bears fruit when the opportunity presents itself. It bears fruit in season. Now, all along, we've been taking our flourishing cues from Peter, who we've said before toggled between languishing and flourishing while he walked with Jesus. And, and that experience, he, he actually bottomed out on the very day that Christ was crucified. Now think about this. He languished the most on the day that his Savior died when he denied Jesus three times. But things changed drastically for Peter when Jesus appeared to him on the beach and restored him to his rightful place of leadership within the revolution. Do you remember the conversation they had? Peter had shown up. Jesus told them, hey, uh, throw your net on the other side. You'll catch fish. Peter realized who it was, swam on shore. Jesus pulls him aside and has this incredible conversation with him where he says three times, not once, but three times, just the same number of times Peter denied him. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now, we know that based upon Jesus' instructions, there was something that Peter was supposed to do as a result of his full restoration. Do you remember what it was? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. There was something for him to do. But it all started with love. That was the genesis of Peter's restoration. And looking back at that life-changing moment where he was restored on the beach, Peter clearly understood that we must be anchored in love if we are going to flourish. We must be anchored in love if we're going to flourish. So it's no surprise that as Peter wraps up his explanation of the path to flourishing... That love caps off the list of the virtues that are to be added to our faith. Now, you know we've been in 2 Peter chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along one more time, many of you can probably say this almost from heart, if not completely. 2 Peter chapter 1, 
Beginning in verse 5, Peter lays out for us the path to flourishing. He says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort, spare no investment. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. Into to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And there it is, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if they are growing within you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're adding love. We hear, you guys know, you've probably heard a hundred times, if you've been hanging out in church much, that there are four Greek words for love. Some scholars actually identify seven Greek words for love. But the one that Peter uses strategically, specifically here, is the word agape. Now, if you know anything about the kinds of love in the Greek, agape is the purest form of love. Agape is the purest form of love. It separates itself from all the others by one specific characteristic. Agape love is unconditional. It's unconditional. Dominic Dunn wrote these words, Agape love doesn't depend on emotions, how it is reciprocated, or whether or not it makes practical or financial sense. Agape love freely gives. Agape is a resolute love without manipulation, creatively breaking your life and heart open, creatively breaking your life and heart open for the sake of others. Now listen, here's all you need to know about agape love. It's the way God loves you. Agape love is the way God loves you and me. So what is Peter telling us to add to our faith? Add to your faith the same kind of love that God shows you. Add to your faith the same kind of love that God shows you. Now, of course, we know that message isn't unique to Peter. From beginning to end in Scripture, we hear about the importance of love. Paul said virtually the same thing to two congregations, that young churches, that he was discipling toward flourishing. To the Colossians, he said, and by the way, I want you to turn to this passage of Scripture. It's just a, a beautiful passage. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. He writes, Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues... Put on love. Agape love. Put on love which binds them all together in perfect 
unity. Now, Paul here cites a different list of virtues that would help bring harmony to their community. Okay, This represents the mutual affection that Peter lists in his list that we talked about last week. He says that love is actually the secret sauce that unlocks the rich flavors of our fellowship. It is love over all these virtues put on the top coat of love. And then Paul, writing in his first letter to the Corinthians, addresses the various gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us that will enable missional effectiveness for the church. And he told the Corinthians that if you don't have this kind of agape love that God provides, none of the gifts that the Spirit gives you will do anybody any good. Listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love, agape love, is clearly the key that unlocks the power of our service. Paul says clearly that without love, we will never accomplish any of the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. We, without love, we will be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter wrote. What, what does it all mean? What it means is that if we aren't loving with agape love, we will not flourish. But here's an important question. Who are we called to love? Who is it? Are are we adding love to our faith for God? Or Or is Peter saying that we're supposed to love other people? Or, or is this the kind of love that we're, we're supposed to give to ourselves? Now, we must understand that this love that leads to flourishing is multidirectional. Okay? It is both vertical and it is horizontal. Vertical love is love for God, and horizontal love is love that flows out and goes to other people. But it is critical to understand this. We can't love others if we don't first love God. We can't love others if we don't first love God. Remember when Jesus called Peter and and restored him to ministry? He began by saying, Peter, do you love me? Why did he begin there? Because Effective service for God, any productivity for God's great kingdom come cause, begins with being connected to Christ through love. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they gathered together for their last meeting in the upper room? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing? Well, 
you can microwave popcorn and draw a warm bath, and you might be able to find a movie on Netflix, but what Jesus was saying is that apart from me, if not connected with me, you aren't going to be able to do the things that change the world. Love changes everything. And for someone to experience the love of God through us, what happens as a result is they are drawn to the God of love. But being a conduit of love means that it begins in our love for God. It begins in our love for God. And it benefits others. But listen, being a conduit of God's love doesn't just benefit others. It also benefits us. That's, that's why Peter is making this point. If we will add agape love to our faith, loving God and others, loving vertically and horizontally, we will flourish because love brings all the other virtues together in a way that ensures the joy of fruitfulness. That's what happens when we are fruitful. When we are productive and effective in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we experience joy. And that joy changes us and everything around us. We enjoy become compelling. People want to be around joyful people. So, we know who we love. We are to love God and others. But we need to ask this question, what does agape love look like? How do we love God and others? What are we doing? And this is a really important question because we hear all the time, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what are we doing when we're loving vertically and loving horizontally? When we are loving God and others? Well, let's start with what it looks like to love God. The Scripture teaches us that this love of God that leads to flourishing will show itself in one primary way. So how do you love God? There's one thing. One thing. And it's not one we snuggle up to. Loving God shows itself in obedience. If you've ever wondered how in the world you're supposed to love a God who you cannot see, you generally cannot hear, and you definitely cannot touch, the answer is through obedience. It's through obedience. This is exactly what Jesus told his disciples in the upper room as he prepared them for his departure. He said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commands. Now I just want that to stay on the screen for a second. Let it soak in. If you love me, Keep my commands. How, how does keeping commands show our love for God? Well, in two distinct ways. 
First, keeping his commands shows that we're listening. And love always listens. Love listens. If you want people to feel like you love them, hear them out. Stop. Make time for them. Don't be distracted. Put away all the distractions and listen. Same with God. But how do we listen to a God who doesn't generally speak audibly? Well, I'm glad you asked. We listen to what he has to say through his word. When we open this book, we're listening. If we keep it closed, we are closed off to his voice. We listen to what he has to say through his word. The second thing we do is we listen to what he has to say through his spirit. See, the spirit of God speaks through our redeemed conscience. Okay, it, it guides us along the path to righteousness. The Spirit of God nudges us into the obedience of God. The Spirit, through our conscience, says, do this but not that, go here but not there. And when we listen to the Spirit of God within us, we're loving God. Second way we show our love for God Obedience is that we choose to care about what God cares about. Do you, do you care about what God cares about? See, when, when you love someone, you choose their will over your will, right? Obedience to God is a choice to follow His will, to do things His way, even when, and especially when, it's not exactly what we would choose. But what we're saying when we choose what He chooses is that we care about what He cares about. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before He died? He said, Lord, listen, Father, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me, take it. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. See, Jesus cared more about the Father's vision for saving the world than he cared about his own skin. That's love. And when we're loving God, what we learn through obedience, what we learn is that we are empowered to love others. So when we add horizontal love to our faith, it shows itself in the way that we relate to those around us. We love other people as God loved us and as He loves them. Now, that kind of love, this horizontal love that we're talking about, takes three forms. First, love takes delight in others. Love takes delight in others. 
Delight is defined as a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment. Delight is a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment. When we love other people, we take delight in them. Oh, by the way, just as God takes delight in us. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Zephaniah 3.17. Listen to what it says. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Have you ever thought that God takes great delight in you? It is true. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I want you to think about what that beautiful verse says that God does as he delights in us. He chooses to be with us. He uses his power to save us. He is long-suffering and doesn't lead with or sustain rebuke. Rather, he doesn't harp on us. Think about that. He doesn't lead with or operate with sustained rebuke, not harping on us. Rather, God sings over us. That's a beautiful picture. The, the long and short of it is that God's delight is shown in willing what is good for us. That's God's will for you. What is good for you. Just thinking about the good that He wants for us makes Him sing over us. Just like a loving parent sings over an infant as, as we, when we have our children and we sing over them, we, we just get lost in love. And that's what the prophet is saying God does with us. So, when we delight in someone else, what does that mean? It means we will their good. It means that we do everything in our power to ensure that evil and harm do not befall them. It means that we choose to tell the truth, that we stand with them, that we use our power to rescue and save. It means that we don't harp on or belittle it means that we're singing over them in our souls. Now, listen. That is the exact opposite of the self-love that the world imposes on us. The, the love that we're supposed to start with. We are told that we need to put ourselves first and take delight in our happiness and well-being. But you, you know what that does? It leads to us prioritizing self-expression, self-indulgence, and self-interest. That is totally contrary to the teaching of Scripture. That is contrary to a love that delights in others. As a matter of fact, as it relates to ourselves, do you know that Jesus taught two things? Two things as it relates to ourselves. Jesus said we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. 
Now, what does that mean? That means that the energies that we devote to delighting ourselves must be redirected toward other people. That's loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And then second, you know what he said we should do with ourselves? Die. That's what he said. We die to ourselves. You know what that means? It means that we put to death our desires and we embrace God's desires for others. Rather than living for what makes me happy, When I die to myself, I live for what makes you happy. For what makes others blessed. It is living for someone else's flourishing. You, you understand that's what Peter's saying, right? If you want to flourish... Do everything in your power to see that other people are flourishing... How does that help? Well, it ultimately leads to the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord, you know what it is? It's our strength. It's the living water that flow through, flows through us that ensures that our leaves don't wither and we bear fruit in season and out of season. Did you know that the scripture says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross? Jesus understood that joy would result from sacrifice. That if he died to himself, literally, and figuratively, he would experience joy. Here's the bottom line. The delight we long for, the flourishing that we long for, comes from delighting in others. It comes from willing their good. So, what we do is lay down our selfish ambition, our fight for happiness, and we take up the cause of the happiness and flourishing of others. Now, in case that's confusing for you, Jesus made it really... Re but in case I'm confusing you, Jesus made it really simple. You know what he said in John 15, 13? Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. When we delight in others, we are willing their good above our own, laying down our lives for theirs. Loving others delights in others. The second thing it does is it puts them at ease. When you love other people, you put them at ease. Look at 1 John 4, 18. 
says there's, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. See, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The one who fears is not flourishing in love. Now, here's, here's what we know. People who are afraid are never at ease, are they? Fearful people aren't at ease. Disease of the soul has the same effect that disease of the body has. It creates anxiety, discomfort, and fear. But when we are loving other people with agape love, we are doing our best to ensure that they feel safe and secure in our presence. You remember what we, we read the beginning of the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But you remember what Paul said of love? He, he said these things. Think about it. It is patient. It is kind. It does not dishonor others. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Turn that around. When we are impatient, unkind, dishonoring, flying off the handle, and consistently keeping score, we are not loving, and no one is at ease. It creates an eggshell environment where others fear our response to their actions. So, what happens? Where does fear come from? It arises when we anticipate harm or suffering. Fear persists when we are subject to someone who does not desire our will or our well-being. And by the way, you know it, don't you? But when we are in the presence of love and under love's protective care... Fear is wiped out, and the fruit of fear disappearing is ease. We're put at ease. When we love other people, they don't fear failure in our eyes. They know that no matter what they do, they will experience unconditional love and support. Remember, agape love, above all, is unconditional. They won't fear that we're going to punish them if they don't make us happy. They know we aren't going to withdraw from them or do everything in our power to make them pay for their transgressions. In love, agape love, we are perfectly predictable in the grace we provide. In agape love, we are perfectly predictable in the grace we provide. And you know what happens? People are put at ease around us. And our perfect love has cast out their fear. Finally, when we add love to our faith, we meet needs generously. You know, love is always generous. 
And again, God sets the tone for this kind of generosity. We sang about it today. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. God. The God who loves us with agape love. Is a generous God. By the way, do you know where the word generosity comes from? It's a Latin word. And listen what it means. Noble birth. Generosity means noble birth. If you are a son or daughter of a generous king, it was expected that you would be generous too. Hence the word generosity. Not, not simply because of who you knew, but you would be generous because of who you were. And do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who we are? We are sons and daughters of a generous king who gave his son to change the world. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And so because we are his children, because he gave so extravagantly, so generously, we, in his love, are expected to give generously. Generously. 1 John three seventeen and 18 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can, how can the love of God be in that person? How can it? Dear children, Dear children of God, sons and daughters of a generous king, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If we're going to flourish, we have to add love, generous love, to our faith. We, we, we must love God who first loved us. And then we must choose to love others who need to experience God's love. That's the call. It begins with loving God. And it spills over into loving others. 1 John four nineteen says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God, 
must also love their brother and sister. Look, you, you, you want to live the flourishing life? You want to live a life that, that you know is effective and productive in its core calling? A life that, that's realizing the purpose for which it was created? Then love. Love with agape love. Love God through obedience. And love others by denying yourself. Laying down your desires. So they can flourish. As I said, it all begins with loving God. The beautiful underlying truth in all of this is that God loved us so much that He died to create the path for our connection to Him. He sent Jesus to do that. And so all of this love that will change your life and the lives of those around you begins with faith in Jesus Christ. It begins by believing that Jesus stepped out of eternity and into time, lived a perfect life, died a cruel, unjust death on the cross, was buried, and then three days later, God raised Him from the dead so we could have life eternal and life abundant. That, that's the sum and substance of God's love. The first step of loving God is accepting Jesus' story, His good news. It'll change your life. Have you placed your faith and trust in the one who loved you enough to die for you? That's where it begins. You can't flourish if you aren't connected to the living water of God. And if you're connected, then you have to let that love flow. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we are so thankful that while we were yet enemies, while we were living in rebellion against you, you demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus here. Thank you, Lord, for the great sacrifice of your Son. Father, I pray if there are those in this room today who are not connected to you and the possibility of flourishing through faith in Jesus, that today would be the day that they open their hearts, their minds to belief. That they accept your gracious offering of forgiveness. 
and step into the flourishing life through faith in Jesus. Now, if you're, if you're thinking, I, I'm not sure I'm connected to God. Listen, it is by grace, God's love, through your faith that you connect with God. He started the process. You just have to trust Him. Will you place your faith in Jesus today? And if you have trusted Him as your Savior, then the call is to love Him. to love Him by becoming obedient to His commands to love others. Father, I pray that You would empower this body of believers, these people gathered here in Your name today, Lord, that You would empower us through love. As we love You, Lord, let Your Spirit guide us to loving others to faith in Jesus. It's in his strong name that pray. Amen.